You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. We're in a series this month on eternity, and it's called For All Eternity. This morning, it's a glimpse of eternity, and it will be just that, just a glimpse. And so in order to see well, why don't we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to see, what we need to learn this morning. And I know we won't leave the way we came because the Holy Spirit's going to be at work. Father, thank you today for your word, living, alive, active, powerful. And we are here today, God, to say, would you speak to us? We are hungry. We want to know. We want to grow. And may our faith become stronger this morning. When we leave today, may we be better prepared for the week ahead of us, but also better prepared for eternity. Do a work in us. What we need to hear in our own hearts, Lord, might be really different than the person next to us, but would you do what you do best? Teach us, comfort, encourage us, exhort us by your spirit. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, series on eternity. Big topic. There's no way we get to cover it all this morning. We're going to look at a few things, hopefully get a little glimpse of eternity. The verse we had last week, we have it out there again for you, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, where it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. And when I look around this morning, it looks like everybody here this morning has got a human heart. And if you're sitting beside somebody who doesn't have a human heart, just, you know, this message won't be for them. But if you've got a human heart, this message is absolutely for you. And uh, inside of you, God has planted a chip. You know, the Intel chip that's in some computers. Well, God put a chip on the inside of your heart, and it's called an eternity chip. Animals don't have it. We have it. It's an eternity thing that in our hearts, we know there's something more. If you would tour the world and even go back in history, every tribe, every nation, every part of the world, people have thought about eternity. Where does that come from? God puts it in our heart. There's this quest for understanding eternity. And then it goes on to say in this verse that people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. It's there, but we'll never see all of it. At least not on this side of heaven, but there is this great concept of eternity in heaven that's been put in our hearts. Then Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2, we read here that we should be setting our sights on it. We should be thinking about it. Paul writes here, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Heaven's a real place. It's a real place. It's a prepared place. God's preparing it for us, and it's for a prepared people. It's a real place. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let, look at this part, let heaven fill your thoughts. In other words, we should be thinking about heaven a lot. Do not think only about the things down here on earth. It's easy to think about things on earth because we're surrounded by it. and We have goals and plans and dreams and visions, and that's all great. Here Paul's just saying, don't just think about what's happening on earth. Think about the reality of heaven because you're going to spend a lot more time there than you are here. So you've got to spend some time thinking about it. Then Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world where everyone is right with God. In eternity, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The earth we have today is kind of getting worn out. And there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth. How that's all going to take place, again, we look through, like Paul says, a glass dimly. We don't see it all, but we know that it's coming. And it says to look forward to it, to think about it. 
How many here this morning, quick survey, how many here have been to Disneyland or to Disney World? Let me see your hands. If you've been to Disneyland or Disney World, okay, that's about like the other uh, services we've had. 80% have probably been to Disneyland or Disney World. When I was a kid growing up, I really, really wanted to go to Disneyland. I asked my dad if we could go to Disneyland. Dad, can we please go to Disneyland? Now, you have to understand, we didn't live in Vancouver. We lived in the, out in the country, southern Alberta, in the foothills, next to the Rocky Mountains. And not many of our neighbors had been to Disneyland. But some of my friends at school had been to Disneyland. I don't think Disney World was there yet, but Disneyland was. And I wanted to go to the magical kingdom. That was it, where imagination becomes a destination. And I was like, it's the happiest place on earth. I want to go there, Dad. And uh, so we, we begged and pleaded, but my dad never did take us to Disneyland. We went to Lethbridge whoop-up days. And we, <laughs> hey, it's a big deal there. And we went to the Pincher Creek Rodeo and fair. But we never made it to Disneyland. We went to Calgary a few times, and that was a big deal. And so we just kind of stayed in our own little world there, but never did make it to Disneyland. Wanted to go, saw Mickey Mouse, saw these other characters. Oh, man, I want to be at Disneyland. The kingdom, what would it be like? And we thought about it, we imagined it. Then when we had children... Cheryl had been to Disneyland a couple times as a child. And she said, oh, Dave, we've got to take the kids to Disneyland. So when we could, saved up enough money, drove down there in a car, and we were so excited. The kids were excited to go to Disneyland. I was excited to go to Disneyland. Man, it's been a long time, and I wanted to go. Cheryl had told me she'd been there, and she brought back a report of what Disneyland was like. So I was excited to go. And there's something happens when kids are looking forward to a vacation. I call it vacation attitude, where we could say to the kids, kids, we're going to Disneyland in a month. Now, if you want to go, you, your bed's got to be made. And, and, and okay, I'll make the beds, whatever you want. That, that, yep. They lived differently because they knew they were going on vacation. No fighting in the car, long drive. You, no, no, because we're going to, if you, if you don't stop that, we're not going to Disney. Okay, okay. You, and so they just live differently. Great expectation. I think we have vacation attitude, not just for going to Disneyland. Maybe you're just going on a cruise next week or you're getting away this summer. Isn't it different the week before you go? You kind of get more work done, you think clear, you're excited, it's, you feel a little bit lighter. You think, you know what, in a couple of days, I'm out of the rain. In a couple of days, I'm going to get some vitamin D. In a couple of days, I'm going to be wherever we're going, and we look forward to it. I think we need to have heaven attitude. This life is not all that there is. Seriously, we have something far better than the magic kingdom, happiest place on earth, imagination is destination. We have the reality, the realities of heaven, a real place to look forward to. Ever been to a party, uh, seen other people invited to a party, but you didn't get invited? Maybe it was in school, or maybe you see this yacht leaving Coal Harbor and all these people are on there and they're having... They got a helicopter on there and people are laughing. Man, what a party to be invited to. I would never get invited to that. Folks, you are invited to something far better than any of that. We have heaven waiting for us. And of course, a party doesn't even describe it. It's so much more than that. But there is a realities of heaven that Paul encouraged us to think about. So let's get into it this morning and talk a little bit about eternity. 
We took it to the street, and we asked the people on the street what they thought about eternity, just a few blocks away from here, and got some interesting responses. And so we thought we'd share it with you this morning. Some people were kind enough on the street just to say, hey, I'll give you my opinion of eternity. So before we go forward, let's watch a little bit about what they're saying on the street. To infinity and beyond! happens to us when we die? Either you go to heaven or you go to uh, hell. Uh, you, you rot in the ground and become organic material. Okay, we're, there's no God up there. But okay. we're, we're energy. Yeah. All the atoms like sodium, potassium, uh, you can't destroy energy and you can't create it. So I think when you die, that energy is dispersed somewhere. Now whether the memory cells go with it, I don't know. So, do you think heaven and hell are real places? Yes. Okay. That's, that's a good one. You know, the, the hell concept, I'm still working on getting through that one, and that's yeah. what I think the whole spiritual journey is all about. But mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think that there's a heaven. I think I believe pretty strongly, or we do, that there is a heaven. Yeah. The hell, that's, uh, that's a work in progress. No, it's impossible. I, I believe in the, uh, the Big Bang theory. No, it's a fairy tale. Okay. So, does what you do here on Earth affect what will happen after then? Yeah, I believe in karma, and I think that we all have past lives and stuff. I believe in that. Or when we reborn, I don't know. I think so. Okay. What do you do really matter, but not the de- deciding factor? Okay. It's what do you believe. Okay. So, are you afraid of dying then? Uh... Same as anyone, I guess. You, you know, it's come. It, it, it would it would be unnatural not not to be scared. But there's nothing you can do about it. So I, I think I think once you get to that stage, you just accept it. No, not at all. No. Not when my time is right. No. No, I'm not afraid because uh, eternity is much longer than uh, the short time on Earth. Right. So it would be it's better in heaven than here. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone, uh, even people who have the strongest faith, you still fear... The unknown. You fear the unknown, but um, I think it's comforting in a way that, that if you can get to that point where your faith is strong enough, yeah. you know, you feel better about it. Excuse me, sir, what, what do you think happens to you when you die? You don't know, hey. Well, is heaven and hell a real place then? Okay, you don't know. Um... So, does what you do here on Earth affect where you go after you die? You don't know. That's great. Um, so, are you afraid of dying then? That's great. You don't know again. Well, that's great. He doesn't know anything. Perfect.
Oh, there you have it. Word on the street. There's a lot of people that still haven't found what they've been looking for. And, uh, and obviously, some guys just didn't have the answer to any of it. So it was a great little interview. We're going to go through a few questions we might ask about eternity this morning. By no means are they all the questions we would ask. One of the reasons we're doing it is that we just read more, study more, look into heaven more. There's some great books out there on heaven. Uh, we have one in the bookstore called Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. There's a version for kids. And I actually really like the version for kids because it makes it so simple. And if you've got children and you're trying to explain heaven to them, this is a great resource to have. It does a great job of explaining it. He also has one for adults. Great book. And so as we go through the series, maybe we just get hungrier and it peaks our appetite. We start thinking about it. If that happens during the month of August and carries forward, that's mission accomplished. One of the questions that comes up is hell. Is hell a real place? And I don't think you can talk about eternity without talking about the reality of hell. Is it a real place? It is a real place. Jesus had a lot to say about it. And if we're followers of Jesus, then you're going to understand that it's a real place. And he had some things to say about it. I want to read from John chapter 12, 46 to 48. I think it helps us understand his perspective on it. Because here's what he says. I am the light that's come into the world so that all who believe in me won't have to stay any longer in the dark. It's really, it's a, it's a mission, a rescue mission. If anyone hears what I'm saying and doesn't take it seriously. Now this kind of surprised me when I first read it, read it. But I'll start again from verse 47. If anyone hears what I am saying and doesn't take it seriously, I don't reject them. I didn't come to reject the world. I came to save the world. But you need to know that whoever puts me off, refusing to take in what I'm saying, is willfully choosing rejection. The word, the word made flesh that I've spoken and that I am, that word and no other is the last word. You might, write, write, might want to write down another verse beside there, Ezekiel 33, 11, where God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Another verse says God is, doesn't want any parish, but everyone could experience this life that he has for them. One of the best teachers that I found to talk about the subject of hell, he's a great pastor today in New York. His name's Tim Keller. He's kind of like a modern-day C.S. Lewis. If you like C.S. Lewis, he's kind of like a modern-day C.S. Lewis. Has an amazing Presbyterian church there in New York. And this is what he had to say about the subject of hell. Jesus constantly depicted hell as painful fire and outer darkness, a place of unimaginable misery and unhappiness. If Jesus, the Lord of love and the author of grace, spoke about hell more often than anyone else, it must be a crucial truth. Why is this so extremely important to stress in our preaching and teaching today? The idea of hell is implausible to people because they see it as unfair that infinite punishment would be meted out for comparably minor, finite, false steps, like not embracing Christianity. Almost... No one knows anyone, including themselves, that seems to be bad enough to merit hell. But the biblical teaching on hell answers both of these objections. First, it tells us that people only get in the afterlife what they've most wanted in this life. Either to have God as Savior and Master, or to be their own Saviors and Masters. Secondly, it tells us that hell is a natural consequence. Even in this world, it is clear that self-centeredness rather than God-centeredness makes you miserable and blind. The more self-centered, self-absorbed, self-pitying, self-justifying people are, the more breakdown occurs relationally, psychologically, even physically. They also go deeper into denial about the source of their problems. 
On the other hand, a soul that has decided to center its life on God and his glory moves towards increasing joy and wholeness. We can see both of these trajectories even in this life. Every year last week in the service, I had a ball in my hand, and I said, this ball is a symbol of my life. As long as it's in my hand, I can choose where it goes. My life, while I'm on the planet, I can choose what I want to do with it. But when I die, it's like throwing the ball. The ball no doesn't cease to exist anymore. The ball is still there. But while I'm here, I chose the trajectory of the ball when it leaves my hand. So too in life, I choose the trajectory of my life going forward into eternity based on what I'm doing here. Tim Keller goes on to say, But if, as the Bible teaches, our souls will go on forever, then just imagine where these two kinds of souls will be in a billion years. Hell is simply one's freely chosen path going on forever. We wanted to get away from God, and God in his infinite justice sends us where we wanted to go, away from him. Hell is basically, God's not there. Remember Jesus on the cross when he experienced hell for you and I? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he experienced it for us so we wouldn't have to experience it. Tim goes on to say, we run from the presence of God, and therefore God actively gives us up to our desire. Hell is therefore a prison in which the doors are first locked from the inside by us, and therefore are locked from the outside by God. Every indication is that these doors continue to stay forever barred from the inside. This is why we can say that no one goes to hell that does not choose both to go and stay there. What could be more fair than that? You remember the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll, I'll come in, I'll dine with him and, and they with me. So when we lock the door and say, God, I do not want you in my life, God honors our moral volition, our choice, and says, if that's what you choose, then that I have to honor to be just and fair. A lot said in the Bible about it. Jesus talked about it. It's real. It's a real place. So we, we have to at least put it out there that it's part of eternity. I want to spend more time talking about heaven this morning, though, and uh, talk about what heaven is like, because it also is a real place. There's over 582 verses about heaven, and uh, we want to talk about that this morning as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's actually talking about himself here. The verse, I think, is in your notes. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. There's three types of heavens talked about in the Bible. It's good to understand which one when you're reading. One is the heavens where the clouds and the rain and so forth is. So that's one type of heaven, an atmospheric heaven. And then there's a heaven where the moon the stars, the planets move. That's another type of heaven. But then there's God's heaven. And he says, I was caught up into this third heaven. I had an experience with God in this heaven. He says, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure. And you can understand it when you read accounts of people that have talked about experiencing heaven because it's like you move seamlessly from this dimension into another dimension and you're, you find yourself with God. And this is what he says here. He was caught up into this third heaven. And he goes on to say in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for men to utter. Another translation says, it was so amazing, I can't describe it to you. And people that have experienced heaven, been dead and came back to life, they, they talk about this amazing experience and it's hard for them to describe what happened. But a very real place, very real experience. Heaven's our real home. Hebrews talks about it. 
We also talk about it in the book of Philippians. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a tangible place. Trees are there, rivers are there, horses are there, clouds are there, fountain streets, mansions, musical instruments, food, books, walls, lamps, furniture, precious stones. It's a real place for real people. Prepared place for prepared people. And one day we're going to be there. It's going to be fantastic. It's a beautiful place. You, you want to be there. You want to, you know, somebody said, well, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. I think it's going to be boring. I talked to a guy last night. And he said, you know what? As a kid, I had no desire to go to heaven. Because I thought if it's anything like church, <laughs> I, I'm so bored. If it's my church, if I have to have that for the rest of eternity, count me out. I'll take the other option. But I, I do not want that for an eternity. That's why I think church should be fun. I think church should be relevant. I think church should be enjoyable. Sometimes we'll get... You know, our conscience will be pricked and we'll feel like, man, I've got to make some changes here. But church should be something that we want to be at. And he said, I, I grew up thinking, man, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven because I think church is kind of boring. Heaven's going to be boring. And there was a cartoon that came out a number of years ago. This guy's on this fluffy cloud and he's floating along and he's, and it's this typical picture of heaven, fluffy cloud, kind of a boring background, a little fat angel with a harp. And he's, it, the caption above him is, I wish I would have brought a magazine. Like, this is just, what is there to do in heaven? But that, that's not the case. If we say heaven is boring, then we said God is boring. And I don't think God's boring. Who came up with the idea of joy anyhow? Who came up with the idea of laughter? God? Is sex boring? I don't think so. And God came up with that idea. God came up with the idea of every nerve ending, every pleasurable experience. Was, those were all his ideas. Are little puppy dogs fun to be with? Absolutely, because God is fun. Is it fun to, is it exciting to see uh, our work project come together? Absolutely, because God's exciting. Do you ever look out and you just see his creation and go, wow, God, you're an amazing artist. That's heaven. Heaven is not going to be boring. And I know this might surprise you about heaven, but we're going to work when we get to heaven. Even before the fall of man, Adam and Eve worked in the garden, but it was a good thing. It was really rewarding. And when we live for all eternity, we're not going to like, oh, man, I can't wait to get a retirement. It's the ultimate retirement plan. I will never have to work again. It won't be rewarding. We'll, have, we'll rule and reign, the Bible says, with Christ. There'll be things to do, but it'll be fantastic. When we die and get to heaven, we don't know everything. We'll know a lot better than we know now. We'll see things clearly, but we won't be omniscient. We won't be all-knowing. Even the angels don't know everything. You know, one point the Bible says they long to look into what we've experienced. They can't figure it out. They look at some of us and, man, that guy was such a rascal. Look what he did. He was such a jerk. And now he's a saint. I don't, what, what happened to him? How did that take place? What, how does Jesus do that? And the Bible says they actually long to look in. They're trying to figure out how did that happen, man. Because they haven't experienced salvation like we have. They don't know everything. We won't know everything. But it'll be a lot clearer. We'll see it clearer. We'll continue to learn. It's going to be an amazing experience to be there. And it's good for us just to think about it, to set our eyes on it, and to imagine it. John Elridge said, you know, if you, have, if you have hope, there has to be desire. Because heaven won't be our hope if we don't have a desire for it. 
If we don't imagine it, it won't be our hope. But throughout the centuries, folks, in Christianity, heaven has always been our hope. Now, when you live in a place like Vancouver, one of the greatest cities of the world to live in, Sometimes we think this is heaven on earth, and we really are privileged to live here compared to many others in the world. We're not living in Syria. We're not living in other countries where they have unrest. We're not living in Somalia. We're living in a place that's really heaven on earth compared to somebody who's got hell on earth. But many throughout the centuries haven't had what we've had here. And sometimes we need to do a reality check and say, wait a minute, this is a great place to live. Thank you, Father, for it. But I know there's something much better which you're telling me to set my sights on. And I think it's really doing God a... a we're not, I, I, think it's, I think it's right. I think God's thrilled when we would think about what he's prepared for us. That's why he said to think about it. At one point, the disciples, Jesus had told them he's going away. He's going to die. He's going to go away. And Peter says, hey, I want to go along. Can I go too? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't come. And Peter says, oh, I'll go anywhere. I mean, I'll, I'll take a bullet for you, God. I'll, I will die for you, Jesus. I'll, I'll lay down my life. I'll, I, I'm going with you. And Jesus said, Peter, I know you really want to go with me, but before, the, before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then he goes on to say, you guys... Don't let your heart be troubled. John chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. And he'd say the same thing to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. You can look at the calamity in the world today. Our hearts could be troubled. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going away. Have you ever gone away and your kids ask you questions? When we, especially when our kids were younger, we'd go away, they'd ask us some questions. Number one, mom and dad, where are you going? Okay, that was the first question. The second question is, can we come to... And just, just sound like Peter. Can we come along? And then it's like, how long are you going to be gone for? And it's like, who's going to babysit us? Who's going to take care of us? And then it's like, when are you coming back? And their big question was, what are you going to bring us? These are the questions. And Peter's asking the same thing. Where are you going? How long? And the Lord says, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. Number one, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to go prepare a mansion for you. That where I am, you're going to be also. So it's going to be cool. I'm going to get something ready for you. And when I'm gone, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your babysitter. He's going to take care of you. Aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit taking care of us? We're the kids. We're sons and daughters of God. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our helper. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Heaven's a real place. Where is heaven? That's a good question. That's, that's a little bit harder to define. Because we live in this little three-dimensional world. We're locked into that. But heaven is up or heaven is out. It's not far away. It's how close is heaven? Jesus, in his new body, resurrected body, came through the wall and talked to the disciples. He appears before them on the road to Emmaus. It seems like he just kind of slips from one dimension to another seamlessly in this resurrected body. So it's not far. Do you know we have angels with us this morning? They're here. We can't see them, but they're here. And every once in a while, you'll hear somebody actually seeing an angel, and it's documented. How did they just kind of slip from one dimension to another? So this heavenly sphere is really perhaps that, not that far away. In his book, A Scientific Approach to Biblical Mysteries, Robert Fade, he's a, a scientist, and he was answering a lot of questions that, are in the, that come up in the Bible from a scientific perspective, and he's the question was asked to him, where is heaven? And I'm just going to read a little bit from his book for you this morning. 
he tells us that there's more than three dimensions. Of course, we know there's three dimensions. The fourth dimension is time that takes us all along the different points in life. But he talks about the ten dimensions. And if you studied physics or you did any advanced mathematics, you know that there's more than three dimensions. I went on to, uh, somebody sent me a YouTube site where it describes how the four dimensions work and how to get your head around it. I think I have to watch it another ten times before I begin to understand it, but it's, it's there for you if you want to look it up. This is what he has to say, though. Our universe is structured on three physical dimensions plus an additional dimension of time. There is no way that our particular dimensions may be con- extended outside of our universe, but suppose the dimension of time is transcendent, not limited to our own universe, and shared mutually by worlds outside of our own. If we, as calculations indicate, there is a total of ten possible dimensions, if we subtract three that define our universe plus time, that leaves six dimensions left over. Three of the remaining dimensions could be, and he says this is a theory, the location of heaven. Since each of these heavenly dimensions would be at right angles to those of our own, heaven would occupy exactly the same space as our own world does. In other words, it's mathematically possible and math is a pure science. One plus one always equals two. And mathematically, they've proven this. That the earth and heaven could exist simultaneously in the same space, but with dimensions at right angles to each other. It's impossible for us to visualize this mentally, for we're conditioned to think only in the dimensions of our own universe. But this is mathematically possible. He doesn't have chapter and verse for us there, but he's just saying mathematically it's very possible that there's another dimension, heaven, which is just... Very close. Jesus came through a wall. He was there. Angels are there. When we die, you talk to people that have died, and they watch somebody working on the operating table. They said, I just seamlessly kind of went from this dimension to the other dimension, but I was there. You couldn't see me, but I saw you. Heaven's a real place. Now, in heaven, in eternity, there's also something called a new heavens and a new earth. That's an exciting thing to read about. Revelations 21 talks all about that. And if you want to study more about it, I again encourage you to pick up a book like this one by Randy Elkhorn on Heaven and read about it there. There's other good books to read about. Uh, you know, another thing we sh- should look at is what will, we, what will we look like? What's heaven like, but what are we going to look like? Aren't you glad we get new bodies? We were designed to have a body. Adam... And Eve were created from the dust, and then the Spirit was put in them. We're, we're designed to have a body, and we'll get a new body, one like Jesus had. It was, we saw his glorified body, and the Bible says we'll have one like he had. nice thing about it is other people are going to recognize us. And they say, people that have been to heaven and come back, they say, everybody has kind of the medium age. And I don't have a chapter and verse for that, but... That's different accounts of that. And there are some great accounts. And you can pick up different books on it and hear different stories. They're testimonies and they're encouraging. We always run it through the grid of the scriptures. It has to line up with the Bible. But it's great to hear these stories of people that died and experienced heaven and came back to say, it's real. I've experienced it. What will we look like? We'll look like we do here, except the improved model. And, and you'll, you'll look around and you'll see all the different varieties and you'll, you know, just, it's going to be, God's not boring. 
That's for sure. Look at all the different species of fish and birds and whatnot, and we'll be there. We'll see the variety that there is in the human family. Ah. What will we do? Let's talk a bit about what we'll do. Our time's running out. What will we talk about when we do, when we get to heaven? Like we mentioned, we're not going to be bored. This couple died, they went to heaven at the same time. And uh, they, they arrived there, and an angel says, Welcome to heaven. And uh, they, they come into heaven, and they said, I want to show you this amazing place where you're going to be staying. This gorgeous, gorgeous mansion. And uh, the man looks and says to the angel, Excuse me, but how much does this cost a night? And the angel says, no, no, this is heaven. Absolutely free. Don't worry about it. It's free. It's yours. I love it, but it looked very expensive. So then they go to another place, and there's food set out, just gourmet food, foods he'd never seen and laid out. It's just mouth-watering food laid out there. And he said, wow, what a meal. How much are the meals here? And the angel says, no, no, again, you have to understand, this is heaven. It's all free. It's paid for. Oh, okay, fantastic. And then they, they leave there, and they're walking away from there, and they see this amazing golf course. And he loved golf. And he looks out there, he's this amazing golf course, and he's just, his eyes are really open. And he's like, oh, wow, look at the greens. Look, oh, it's perfectly manicured. He's just, and the angel says, before you say anything, i got to tell you again, this is heaven, and the green fees are absolutely free. And he looks at his wife, and he said, you and your health food cook. I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to play golf there, but I, we, we will have fun. One thing's going to happen when we get to heaven, we're going to be rewarded. That's for sure. The Bible makes it very clear that we're going to be rewarded for what we did here. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, it says, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me, but all who love is appearing. And what will we be rewarded for? We're not going to be judged for what we did wrong. Jesus took that judgment on him at the cross. I, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I had this notion somewhere I picked up that when I stood before God when I died, he was going to have this little videotape, and he's going to play back all the bad things that I did, and everybody was going to see it. And so I thought, man, I don't know if I want to go to heaven, because I did a lot of bad things, and I don't really want everybody to see it. But I'm glad somebody taught me the truth that my sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness and they're not going to be reviewed on that day. What will be reviewed is what I did with what I had to serve Him. I'm not coming to heaven because of what I did. That's done through Christ. But He does reward us how we lived for Him with what He gave to us here. And there's plenty of scriptures that bear that out. Right from a, a cup of cold water, an act of kindness, how we gave, how we lived our lives, how we encouraged others, how we endured temptation or persecution. There are people that have been Christians throughout the church ages who have endured incredible persecution for their faith. And there's a special reward for that when they get there. And another verse is 2 Corinthians 5.10 that bears that out. We have a new home in heaven. We talked about that. We, we talked about the fact that we're going to have great food, amazing food, marriage supper of the Lamb. If you've ever been to a good banquet, mm, you know, it's 1208. So I'm not going to talk too much about the food, but it is amazing. Some verses there to look that up. We rule with Christ. That's going to happen in heaven. Who's going to be in heaven? That's another great question. Again, we're just getting a glimpse of it this morning. 
John Newton said, when we get to heaven, there will be three wonders. We're going to be amazed at who is there. Who? You're, you're, you made it to heaven? Wow. And then we're going to look around and say, we're so-and-so. And then we're going, to be the, we're going to wonder, wow, I'm here. This is amazing that I am here. What a treat to be in God's presence. Who will be there? God will be there. The Lord Jesus will be there. The Holy Spirit will be there. In this book, Heaven is for Real, this little boy had died and... Uh, he had seen heaven. And he had no, um, you know, he's, he's like four. So he didn't have a lot of background on what heaven would be like about Jesus and theology. But as he recovered, and different times, he would just say stuff. And his parents would go, where did you experience that? He said, well, I, when I died, I saw this. And at one point he says, I saw Jesus. And his dad said, well, what was Jesus like? And I won't tell the whole story, but he said, Jesus has markers. And I says, okay, Jesus has markers. He said, well, what does Jesus look like? What was he wearing and so forth? He said, well, what do you mean Jesus had markers? Yeah, he has markers. You mean, you mean he had like big markers you color on paper with? He said, well, no, no, he had, he used the markers on himself. But what do you mean? But he's got markers on his arms and his feet. He had markers, red markers. So from a child's perspective, it looked like Jesus had been playing with the markers. He got ink on his palms and on his feet. The scars were... And he, he, he was never taught that, but he had this experience of being with Jesus. Another point he said to his parents, he was playing one day, and he's just innocently playing. He said, Mommy, I have two sisters. And he goes, yeah, yeah, just keep playing. Mommy, I have two sisters. He says, you have, a, you have one sister, and maybe you're thinking of your cousin Tracy. You know, no, I met my other sister in heaven because she was in your tummy and uh, I met her. And at that point, he had his mom's attention. How did you know that? I, I met her in heaven. They never told him. He wasn't ready to know that his mom had miscarried. But he met his sister in heaven. They didn't know it was a boy or a girl. They knew now it was a girl. And they said, well, what was she like? And... She said, she was the first one to run and hug me and said, want to meet me. And she can't wait to meet you. Heaven. We too have a little one in heaven. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl when Cheryl miscarried that baby. But that's babies in heaven. Man, I'm so glad for heaven. Children are there. The saints of old are there. Heaven is a real place. Of course, Jesus will be there, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Angels are there. Children are there. Those who've accepted what God's done for them and not pushed him away, they're there. A real place. Well, let me wrap this up. How, do we, how does heaven help me today? Romans 8.18 Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Helps us in tough times. As I mentioned, Vancouver is a pretty good place to live. But we too have tough times. Loved ones pass away. We go through hardships and we think, thank God there's a better day coming. There's a hope for us. Also inspires us to live pure. 2 Peter 3.14, Peter says, And so, dear friends... He could say, and so Coastal Church, Coastal Church, Peter's speaking here, 
While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.